13-year-old Adam has made a lot of mistakes in his life, but this has to be the biggest. Thanks to a massive fight with his little brother Callum, the mysterious and magical computer algorithm Popularis Incrementum has exploded and accidentally transported them to a completely different dimension. One where they were never born and the internet doesn't exist and neither does any of the technology they know and love. Will the brothers survive in this strange altiverse where everything is the same but different? Can they stop an evil villain from sabotaging their dad's world-changing technology when in this universe their dad doesn't even know who they are? And most importantly of all, will they ever find a way back home? Adam Destroys the Internet is out now in paperback. Available from your local Waterstones or online at Waterstones. Hey, it's Sean. It's time for another episode of Fun Kids Meets. This is the podcast where we introduce you to some excellent, interesting people. Dan is here with some amazing guests. Hello, Dan. Uh, hello, Sean. Thank you for having me. I've brought you magical guests. Magical today. guests. If, you, if you're big Harry Potter fans or just fans of behind the scenes of cinema and want to know how films are made, then this is going to be an excellent interview. Um, I'm particularly excited because I've spent the entire weekend playing uh, the Harry Potter Battle of Hogwarts board game. So I am in absolute maximum Harry Potter mode and I'm excited to hear about these behind the scenes. So Dan, tell us about your chat with your guest today. So I recently joined, uh, was joined by a company called Mina Lima, Mina Lima Magic, and they make props. They make physical props that were used in the Harry Potter films. So I was joined by uh, Mira Fora, Mira and Eduardo, and they kind of come together. They've brought, like, one's really good at more abstract, arty stuff. The other's really good at physically making things. And they made props for all the movies in the Harry Potter universe. So the HPU, so everything from the Philosopher's Stone right through to Deathly Hallows and now some of the Fantastic Beasts films as well. It's kind of everything that you physically hold, they've got a big part of. And when you think about how many props there are in these films. I mean, the amount of work they have to do is mind-blowing. I think if those of you who are listening who may have visited Harry Potter World and seen the sheer number, and sometimes the sheer size of the props that are used in the film, then it's amazing to think about the, the amount of talent that has to go into making these these props and these movie items. Exactly, because I'm... I'm all up in my head, like I'm really bad at actually crafting anything. So the <laughs> fact that these people can like, have an idea, then design that idea, and then do it and make it to a standard that it's in one of the like most successful movies ever is is really, really hard to get my brain around. Like the fact that these these two are so so fantastic here, uh, but it was really good, and, and they came into the the studio and we filmed it. And they even, brought, they even brought in some props as well. I was about to ask, we're getting some behind the scenes of the film, but let's see the behind the scenes of the interview. What props did they bring to show you? They brought in one of the official Hogwarts letters that Harry has oh, sent in the first me. film that he's bamboozled with. And it was, it was amazing. Do you remember that thing you would do where you'd make a treasure map at yeah. school and to make it look really old and rustic, you'd kind of soak it in coffee for 48 hours and, yeah, yeah. You know, crinkle it and crunch it well it was like that but um, on a much much better level than we would have got away with and the, it, this fantastic letter that opened up at the back and you know that Uncle Vernon 
Um, would have been so happy thinking there's no post on Sundays, but then brought out Harry's uh, invitation to Hogwarts. So he got that. And then also they brought in one of the chocolate frog boxes. That is so good. That's so mm. good. And also very lucky that you got to see that. And is there, is there a video then we can watch to see these props? I believe there is, yeah. We definitely videoed it and it went on the Fun Kids YouTube channel so you can go in there and have a look. I'm sure it's there. Uh, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a lot of fun because we're in our swanky studio now where everything's plush and glistening and just, just to be like around these people who have created magic. Well, you're here now, so let's hear Dan's chat with some of the prop makers from the Harry Potter films. It's fun, kids. We are celebrating 20 years of the very first Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, uh, joined today by two people who, I don't want to say unsung heroes, but people you might not think about who really do work with the stars of the show. Uh, Mirafor Amina uh, and Eduardo Lima, together, they are Mina Lima. They are the make the props. They make the props for the Harry Potter movies, for the franchise now, for the Wizarding World. They do all of that and they're with us. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for, Thank having, you for us. having us. Uh, what, what was the the very first thing that you ever made for anything Harry Pottery? Oh. <laughs> Harry Pottery, yes. <laughs> well, it's quite um, it's quite a lovely kind of thread actually because it was one invitation letter to uh, Hogwarts, which you know innocently I didn't realise was going to also be my invitation to the Wizarding <laughs> World because it was, you know, I was invited to do four months or six months, I think, on the first film and kind of 20 years later, we're still here talking about it. Um, but yeah, that was the first prop. And um, without that piece, I guess nothing would have happened to to both Harry, the Wizarding World, and to the whole do- unfolding of the stories. This is the most, Eduardo, probably the most iconic. Uh, I would say you've got the broomsticks, the wands, the golden snitch, and then this, the letter I've got here. You'll know it. It's the, the letter that he's bombarded with in the first film. It's a, such an iconic image. As Mira said, you know, if Harry hadn't received that letter, we wouldn't be here talking about this. So, <laughs> so this letter, I think, I, I think Mira is the most iconic piece on Harry Potter. It's not because you made it, but I think it's because of the, 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 the meaning of the letter that Harry is invited to this wizarding world for the first time. And this, as you say, this invited you to be part of the wizarding world as well. Yeah. When you're making something for such a huge film, such a huge series, uh, how much guidance are you given by the director and the producer and people in charge? Are they very specific? Here's what I want. Or have you got an opportunity to just use your brain? No, no, no. That's we, a good we, question. We, yeah. we, we were given no, we completely freedom to, to, to initiate all the concepts and all the designs. And of course, in films, you is a partnership. You know? So you work with the designers and and the director and you have to show them and if they are happy and mostly no yeah, likely we yeah, all, yeah, everything that we kind of initiated they they they, they agreed and they and like of course it. don't forget that there wasn't a there wasn't a right or wrong to begin with yeah. because nothing really existed you know there were no wizarding maps or or newspapers or um letters and posters that we could go and find and buy and borrow or or rent so um it all had to be invented so it was kind of easier in a way for us to just offer up that style and see if it worked and it kind of did apparently but i think the approach that we had as well that we were following exactly harry as well because harry 
was the first time that he has been introduced to this amazing world. So we were doing the same thing. Oh. What's the stage of making something? So as in, you know, if you're doing homework at home, you get given a list of what you need to do. If, you, if you're packing to go on holiday, you get a list of what you need to pack. Uh, how did it work for you when you sit there for the third film, say, The Prisoner of Azkaban? Does the director go, right, here's what I need, a list of like 5,000 things? Now, what we do, we, we work with lists. Lists are very important. <laughs> <laughs> so we read the script, and from the script, we will create two lists. One list is the action hero, action props, that are the, the props that the actors will interact with. For example, the latter is an action prop. And uh, we do another list that is enormous, is huge, is the background dressing that would be anything that's graphic to decorate a room. For example, if I walk in, in the street, all the signage, uh, even the cars, the car plates, everything comes to the graphic design department. Yeah, so, so, so the background dressing can be quite intense because you need to make sure everything And fun properly. fact is that yeah. you don't shoot most films I think there's very <laughs> few are not shot in the order of time no, okay, chronologically of so if this object is I don't know gets burnt for example yeah. but they shoot that scene before they shoot the one where it's not then you need to have you need to think Maybe. ahead so that's when the, le the lists become really critical because you need to be very organised about what's needed when what time of year it is, who's got it, whether it was broken before or after, you know, all those kind of little subtleties mm. that need to then flow through the film. But a good example is with the latter, Nomir, because at the scene that you mentioned with all the letters coming yes. through, we had to, no, you had to make thousands and thousands of different... Yes, and also we didn't quite anticipate that owls who are carrying <laughs> it so beautifully in that scene found it difficult to lift that because their little heads are only about that big. And so you can imagine this was very heavy. So we had to make some lighter weight versions for the owls, which you wouldn't know unless maybe you could just freeze frame the film. And see if you can... Yeah, constantly problem solving. How late in the day are you working at times? So <laughs> I don't know, perhaps when Harry's in Ollivander's getting his wand, if I looked around the corner, would I see you two out of shot, like quickly painting bits of wood? How, how close to the wire is it? I mean, with... The whole point of having lists is that you can plan ahead. Yeah. But the whole point of human beings is they change their mind. So as soon as someone changes their mind or an owl reveals that it can't carry a letter that you've made <laughs> without knowing that that was a special requirement, then, yeah, you might be doing some late nights. And, and that's just part of the, the part process. Of the, yeah. yeah. Uh, how annoying is it, especially with a film like Harry Potter, where everything gets blown up and destroyed? W w what's it like for you as props people when you put so much work so much passion and time into something and then it eventually gets blown up and uh, do you need multiples for these things as well yes yeah. multiples. But one thing that is uh, all the books now all the school books we have to make them beautifully we send it to a book binding they do all beautiful leather work and with uh, tooling and you know, embossing and they send back to us and when we received the books we have to destroy it we need to age to give the you no. Know, the patina of history and yeah. And so, like for example, life, yeah. the Bard, the book that uh, Dumbledore leaves for Hermione in the last film, the the books arrived beautifully. We designed the entire book, but the book binder puts it together, and after we have to go and and sand and destroy, throw on the floor, and and uh, age with coffee to give the the the, the sense that has been. But to your point of time. things, um, but so uh, yeah, so mm. we don't really. It's mm. all about the story, no? Yeah, so mm. what, whatever it works for the story, we need to do. But you said, do we mind things being blown up yeah. and destroyed? Well, that's only the ones that you actually see. Don't forget, for everything that you see in the film, there's probably been another. You know, for every one prop, there's probably another twenty things that have been created that never quite make it 
onto the into the cut into the final cut so that's just part of filmmaking for everybody for you know everyone involved there's always been much more effort that's been put in that just simply doesn't make it into the final cut um what's the toughest thing that you were ever asked to make the, the biggest challenge that took you ages and took you so much imagination i th- i think in my experience it was more anything muggle the normal stuff normal stuff because anyone everyone was like oh no muggle no we all wanted to be immersed all the time in the wizarding world so every time there was a scene outside the wizarding world we were like, like in a cafe or don't forget there's a few scenes that go into the real world and yeah. all that stuff needs to be invented we couldn't really just go and buy you know branded drinks or uh, magazines or labels or street names and things so it all had to be made but to look as though it just was part of the background which is kind of what people do most of the time in our role for for films but um so that was the probably the most yeah. annoying thing but probably the most challenging and interesting thing was probably the marauders My map simply map. because it didn't have any explanation as to what it should look like it told us in the books what it did and what it made people feel or do but it never actually was she never gave a description uh, a physical description of of what it should look like which was fantastic for us because it gave us this freedom to really kind of invent a, a visual language for it both in the illustration part of it but also in the kind of construction and the 3d part how it would unravel so with the marauders map a, a lot of that is special effects so they open it up and then everything's moving, which I imagine must be done on, on the computer. How, how much thought do you have to give with physical things that you are making, how it can be changed and edited on a screen and, and made all magic using special effects? When Harry Potter, most of the props, the, the paper props and stuff that we've been tasked mm-hmm. to do still keep their kind of paper quality. I'd yeah. say the, the probably the most extreme, and that was such a basic thing, was that the Daily Profits, yeah. the... Um, the newspapers where you had an, the photograph was animated. Photograph, yeah. So we would deliver a finished piece, as Eduardo said, a, an actual newspaper. And wherever there was a photograph, we'd put a magical piece of chroma key green. Yeah. And then in post production, they could animate whatever they wanted in that in that space. But for the for the most part, even when the lettering moves and stuff, we just make sure that we deliver what we want the beginning even the howler for example the the beginning one and the end one and maybe a little storyboard of what it should do in between but on the whole things what was lovely about harry potter that even for the sets everything was so built and physical you know there was they didn't rely too heavily on visual effects unless it was something like yeah. quidditch or flying or you know so but even yeah. there's a scene where the marauders map is closes magically in, in Lupin's, uh, Lupin's uh, table that was all done physical, physical mm. by a magician, like a real it's muggle magician. So yeah. But of course, you no, know, the, the, the flying you know, uh, banners with the names and the footsteps, those were all added on visual effects. But we gave the banners and the footsteps, we draw the footsteps and gave it to visual effects and after they act. It's a really lovely collaboration actually yeah. between the departments when that happens. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been such a treat. Harry Potter is, uh, you know, 20 years of the film now, the first film. It's been such a part of so many people's lives and you're, as I say, not uh, not quite unsung heroes, but you're the people that have made so much of, like the fact, the building blocks that no one really ever wonders how they get there. And it's because people like you have put so much incredible work in. Uh, listen, Mina Lima, the two of you, thank you so much for coming in and, and telling us all about thank it. Thank you. Thanks for thank having us. Thank you very us. much. <laughs> 
As someone who's been to Harry Potter World, I think it's just even more impressive hearing their stories about how these props were made and some of the tales behind them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just the fact that these people had d- like dived into the Harry Potter world that at that point was only on paper. Yeah. It was okay, only through J.K. Rowling's books. And then I- imagine what it would look like in real life and then went through and made it. And this won't be like an easy process. They'll be chatting to producers and directors and maybe working with the actors as well to see what they want from it. And to bring all of that together to make something that looks so real on screen is incredible. If, if, if I got a letter from Hogwarts and I'm still waiting for mine, I would imagine it would look like that. <laughs> and it was with the font and, the, and they, they they told us all about the font and the, the precise lettering that they used in there. It's just incredible. They've spawned like a, a whole genre of font. I don't know if fonts have genres, but they've made one if they do. It's amazing stuff. And if you want to see some of the props and watch the interview, then it's over on our Fun Kids YouTube channel. Uh, Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Sean. And we will be bringing you more interesting people next week on the Fun Kids Meets podcast. So make sure you smash that follow button wherever you're listening to your podcasts. We'll see you next time. Thirteen-year-old Adam has made a lot of mistakes in his life, but this has to be the biggest. Thanks to a massive fight with his little brother Callum, the mysterious and magical computer algorithm Popularis Incrementum has exploded and accidentally transported them to a completely different dimension. One where they were never born and the internet doesn't exist and neither does any of the technology they know and love. Will the brothers survive in this strange altiverse where everything is the same but different? Can they stop an evil villain from sabotaging their dad's world-changing technology when in this universe their dad doesn't even know who they are? And most importantly of all, will they ever find a way back home? Adam Destroys the Internet is out now in paperback. Available from your local Waterstones or online at Waterstones.